Welcome back to the Future of Freight. This is Alan Adler. I am the Detroit Bureau Chief for Freight Waves. I'm joined by Jim Mullen, who is the Chief Administrative Officer at Two Simple Holdings, or Two Simple, we'll call it just Two Simple. Um, Jim has been with Two Simple, the autonomous uh, trucking software company, for about a year. And prior to that, he was the Acting Administrator at the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration. Prior to that, uh, he spent 13 years at Warner Enterprises. So Jim is steeped both in the regulatory space as well as the trucking space. Um, he also serves as Chief Legal Officer at Too Simple. So um, we can be sure that we'll, uh, we'll be able to unpack some of these issues along the way. Jim, thank you very much for joining us. Great to see you today. Yeah, thank you, Alan. Pleasure to be here and uh, always look forward to talking with you. Well, I appreciate that. And we did get a chance to uh, talk in person just a, a couple of weeks back when uh, in, in Tucson, and, and it was great. Thank you all for having me out there. We really enjoyed it, and uh, it, it was excellent to get to experience some of the uh, Too Simple product and some of the work that's underway there. Yeah, yeah. Pleasure to have you there. Ready yeah, to make you, it. you know, I, I got to tell you, though, there, there's some stuff, and we talked about this a little bit, but there's some stuff going on that feels like even as quickly as autonomy itself is progressing, it feels like the regulations maybe are not. They're a big deal for autonomous trucking, clearly, but they don't seem to be moving very quickly. So where is the industry on a federal basis and what kind of timing do you see to get the so-called rules of the road in place? Yeah, yeah. So on, on the federal side, the, um, the FMCSA, as you talked about earlier, the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration, uh, they have jurisdiction over this issue, obviously. And they started a rulemaking, it was over a year and a half ago, on the regulatory environment specifically as it relates to activities that would uh, were always been contemplated to be performed by a human being, how, how those regulations will um, either remain in effect or be changed uh, in light of the fact that there will be autonomous vehicles out there that will be traveling the roads that will not have a human vehicle in the truck. Uh, and some examples of that are if the truck becomes disabled, putting out your triangles, things like communicating with law enforcement, cargo securement. So how, how are the regulations going to be changed or adapted uh, to, to when there are no humans in some of the trucks out there in nation's highways? Uh, like I said, they started that process. Um, I'm guessing a lot of your listeners are probably aware it, it's a three-step process when you're talking about rulemaking at, at the FMCSA. Step one is what's called the advanced notice of proposed rulemaking. That's what got started. Step two is notice of proposed rulemaking. And the difference between the two is the advanced notice is, hey, these are the things we're thinking about. And, and they take comments and information from the general public and stakeholders. And then they get to the, the notice of proposed rulemaking where they're more specific on this is what we think we're going to do. And then the third and final stage, of course, is, is the actual final rule. So the FMCSA has said uh, in their, they have an agenda every spring and fall. And they, they, they stay, said in their agenda that they would have this NPRM, the Notice Proposed Rulemaking, out uh, in, in Q4 of this year. I haven't seen it yet. Um, we're told that uh, they are still working on it. Um, and hopefully we'll see it before the end of the year. Um, but but as, as that's going through the system, Alan, I would say that the industry is working on solutions to those same same instances, same issues that need to be addressed, such as I talked about the the triangles, well, you could do the equivalent of, of a triangle by either a flare or some sort of like three-dimensional lighting system 
that would provide motors with the same type of warning effect that the triangles would have. So as the regulators are doing their thing, the industry is doing their thing to try to solve those problems as well. And, and more of a, a future focus. In other words, using using a, say a digital signal, uh, maybe it's maybe it's in the form of a triangle on the truck when it's disabled and something that has a certain you know throw range of light or whatever. Um, you know, so many of these uh, you know uh, human functions are truly decades and decades old. And so maybe just like autonomy is taking us to the future, maybe some of these uh, some of these functions need to be um, modernized as well. And it sounds like that may be what uh, what's happening. Uh, you know, it's interesting that, you know, one of the things that I think is continues to sort of, uh, oh, flummox is a favorite word of mine, to sort of flummox uh, autonomous truck makers is, is a tire blowout. I mean, that's one of those things that, you know, uh, you're, you're disabled. Um, obviously, you know, I, I think, I was told that your trucks will go to the side of the road, you know, that, that they'll get there and that, and that your oversight system will, will dispatch help or, or whatever. But I do think that the question comes up in, in terms of, you know, monitoring for autonomous trucks. Uh, how does the regulation get to things like sort of not the AAA of autonomy, but something that suggests that there's a way to, to sort of keep up with where they are? Yeah. So, um, I think everybody, all the developers in the space will, will have connectivity to the truck and we monitoring the truck remotely, not necessarily operating the truck remotely, but, but, but monitoring the truck remotely. And as you said, you know, our product, for instance, our virtual driver can bring the vehicle uh, to, to rest on the shoulder. Um, there, there are variations or gradations of what we call minimal risk conditions. In other words, there's something within the environment uh, where, where the, the, the system no longer feels that it can safely operate the vehicle. And again, depending on the severity of, 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 the, of the fault or the conditions, it will bring itself into a di different variations of, of that MRC, that minimal risk condition, whether it's a hard break in the lane or taking itself to a gradual stop on the shoulder. So the, um, it'll be inter interesting to see if the federal regulators are that specific and take on um, those issues um, that detailed, so to speak. But my suspicion is over time, um, the regulators, specifically NHTSA, will probably get that specific. But in the near term, um, that that certainly is not an obstacle for, for the adoption of the L4 trucks. And kind of get back to where is the federal regulatory environment right now. You can take the driver out of the truck today and be in full compliance with the federal regulations as long as you can account for those other items that, that we're talking about. And so I talked about what the industry is doing to, to, to try to accommodate for those regulations that contemplate a human. We're working, when I say we, I don't mean just too simple. We work uh, very closely with our competitors, other industry stakeholders and working with, say for instance, you know, the CBSA and law enforcement organizations on how will this product become uh, commercialized and how are we going to work with, with law enforcement? You know, what are you going to do with, with way stations and those sorts of things? So as we wait for the commercialization of this product, which I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about a little bit in uh, this, this discussion further, as we get to commercialization, we work through the other stakeholders on how to, how to solve those problems. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think, I think there's a number of, you know, it, it interests me a great deal, Jim. I mean, you were among the first, if not the first, to sort of sign on with an autonomous truck company, but obviously Wiley Deck is over at Plus. Fitch Fulton is at Locomation, and Elaine Chow has joined the board at Embark. So lots of people from the DOT are, are out there, you know, and presumably bringing what they know and what they knew 
to this uh, new industry, this nascent industry, how much of a sense of urgency, uh, both on the part of the industry and the government, do you see to get these things done? So there certainly was some urgency uh, a couple of years ago on setting the foundation that you did not need um, a human to be the operator of a commercial motor vehicle. I think once that was was set by the Department of Transportation at the federal level, then that at least allowed for a lot of the testing uh, to proceed. Um, and so I think that was kind of the, the, the groundwork for that. Uh, we believe that the commercialization of this product is, is 2024, uh, so we're, we're three years away. So um, in all due respect to, to my fellow colleagues at FMCSA, um, that the three-year time period ought to be sufficient period of time to get that uh, that that um, advanced driving system rulemaking across the finish line. So obviously we'd like to, to have it accomplished as soon as possible, but but we don't think, I, I think I can speak for, for our competitors. Yes, there's some urgency, but by urgent, we don't mean six months. You know, it, it can run its normal course and still get done in plenty of time as long as we, we go, we all keep our eye on, on in focus. Do you, um, uh, and you've mentioned that you work closely with the competition. Uh, I, I think, you know, we've talked to the folks at Embark about that. Uh, you know, Johnny uh, uh, Morris up there and others I, I know you know. Um, and Elaine Chow has talked about how helpful some of you have been in terms of just helping the, 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 the staff, the, the uh, um, sort, sort of the lifers at the DOT understand some of these issues. Um, do you see the regulatory or regulation environment, uh, education and process, obviously being part of it, as a team sport versus one, you know, company advocating for a change that might benefit your own situation? I mean, how do you how do you balance those off? Yeah, I, I, I absolutely view it as a team sport. And I think all of all of the developers in the space view it as a team sport. And, and you mentioned, in fact, some names, you know, Wiley Deck over Plus, Finch over uh, at Locomation. Um, other other folks, you know, you mentioned Johnny, uh, Embark has a great team, Aurora has a great team, Kodiak has a great team, and we we work very closely. We're all members of an organization. Well, most of the, the folks I just mentioned are members of an organization called the Self Driving Coalition, the FTC, and we we collaborate uh, not only on the state level, Alan, but we work very very closely. Uh, I meant the federal level, but also very closely on the state level. An example of that is uh, collectively we. We put together a, a coalition called CAFI, the California Alliance for Freight Innovation. And it wasn't just the developers. We have a, a, a plethora of stakeholders that are also members of this coalition. And we're working with the, the California regulators and lawmakers to try to get to uh, the, the regulatory environment where you can do L4 uh, testing and deployment in California because it doesn't currently allow for that although the, the legislature has has mandated by statute that the regulators do so, they just they haven't gotten to that point yet. So we're working with them to try to get that done. We work with them in all kinds of states that have not yet passed legislation that would permit L4 deployment. So yeah, it's absolutely a, a team sport. Um, I just attended a, a conference and one of our competitors had a, a, a demo truck out front and uh, one of my close friends works for that company. Now, come on, you got to let me on your truck. You got to let me on your truck. And, and uh, he didn't, <laughs> but, but we had fun talking about it. So, yeah, in that arena, uh, we're absolutely we, we have to work uh, together and, and we do so very nicely. Well, I think a, a follow up then on, on California, you know how much influence it's had in emission regulations 
and sort of this patchwork of, uh, of states that, you know, 15 states that are following California on, on things like that. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's such a, a, a nation state, really, that it, it would seem that getting uh, something going in California would be, in fact, urgent and critical because there's going to be so much of the commerce from ports and things like that. that you know, if you wanted to do autonomous rage, for example, um, which seems like a perfectly uh, appropriate use of autonomy, right? Uh, you, you're going to need them, right? And, uh, you know, so I guess I guess the, the question here would then would be, you know, how does the autonomous industry avoid a repeat of this patchwork, state-by-state patchwork? Yeah, yeah. So the, there are 26 states that currently allow L4, uh, level four um, deployment today, where you can take the human being out of the truck and, and, and you'd be in full compliance with the state regulations, state laws. Uh, California is not there yet, as we talked about. Um, as you go from uh, the West Coast to the East Coast on, on I-10, let's say, California doesn't permit it. Mississippi has not yet passed legislation, but it seems very favorable. That's going to come to fruition in the near future. But you can go I-10 and all the states uh, permit that, but for California and, and Mississippi. Um, the the you mentioned emission standards. What seems to be going on in California are two things. One is they seem to be trying to tie AV uh, development and deployment to EV. And um, I, I think all of the, the AV developers are agnostic to the powertrain, whether it's diesel, whether it's electric, whatever. Um, but the issue is we believe will be the, the full scale commercial deployment well before EV. And, and so we're trying to make sure that, that the California folks, the regulators there, don't try to intertwine the two. Secondly, I think you have some labor concerns, and, and California certainly isn't, isn't alone uh, in labor concerns. Um, and if, but you think about what's going on today uh, in the supply chain, and obviously uh, that the California ports are, are um, backlogged to unprecedented, unprecedented levels, uh, and it, it, that's, by the way, that supply chain blockage um, crisis we're in now, it's not just the ports, it's ports, it's, it's rail, it's train, it's truck, it's all those things. But if you think about what our technology can do and what it brings to the marketplaces, it, it, it is going to have a niche, whether it's the long haul space, port, port use, you're going to free up up drivers who are in that long haul space to do other things, which by the way, you know, long haul drivers, the, the, the toughest job to fill in trucking right now, they like to be home more. So out there in California, you could have more, more folks interested in that short haul stuff, the drage stuff <clears throat> that would come out of the, the long haul space that we are going to help, help fill some capacity in there. So the point of all that, Alan, is I don't think California can afford to sit on the sidelines forever. And, and ignore the, the safety benefits, the productivity benefits. It's a greener product. We, we have um, two different um, studies where we analyze, not we, uh, University of California, San Diego analyzed, and then and one of our, our partners analyzed the MPG, the miles per gallon of EV, I'm sorry, AV miles, our autonomous driven miles versus the manual driven miles. And the, the smallest increase we saw was, was just shy of 10%. And in some lanes and some speeds, it was closer to 15%. So you look at all those benefits of what this product is going to bring to the market, safer, more effective, more efficient and productive and greener, California is going to get on board. Well, I hope you're right. 
Jim, I really do, but I've, I've seen the recalcitrance, if you will, that the CARB has on, on many things, even, even hybrids uh, are, not, are not happy places for them. And I wonder if, in fact, the industry won't need to sort of look at putting, uh, um, as you said, you're agnostic, electric-powered Class 8 autonomous trucks in California just to keep them happy, you know, because they're, you know, I, I know how they feel about diesel. They've made it clear. They're off the road by 2040, I think. And I know that's decades away, but it's coming. And I wonder if perhaps there's not going to have to be some discussion. Maybe you're having these discussions that too simple because mollifying carb is something that everybody does at one time or another. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Completely agree. And and the, the 2040 timeframe um, to be diesel free, you know, again, we're agnostic, but let's not prevent the adoption and proliferation of AV until EV becomes commercialized and online. And that's that's the the, the, the story we got to get across. But I'm with you. I'm with you. Look, I I spent a number of years working on some California specific issues in the in the trucking industry, so I'm also well versed in some of the challenges that that state can present from time to time. But uh, I think we'll get there. All you got to do is you know ride ride along some of those disadvantaged communities and see why they feel the way they do. Honestly, I mean, you know, if you if you get out there, you can you see that. I'm sure you've seen it too. Let me stay with supply chain for a minute because you brought it up, and I, I, I obviously it's a mess. Uh, hopefully it'll sort itself out uh, before autonomous trucks are on the road uh, in a meaningful numbers anyway. How would the situation have been different? Maybe you answered this a little bit, but how would the situation have been different if we had autonomous trucks in the mix now? You talked about, you know, ports, but but what, how, you know, let's just play a game here, right? Yeah, yeah. So again, it, it is, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a mess, as you said, and it's not just a single mode of transportation or a single link in that chain that's that is you know i'll say contributing to the mess but part of part of the situation and the shortage of drivers absolutely uh is is a part of that equation and again our autonomous vehicles um our autonomous vehicles in general could help fill some of that capacity need in, in the system in the freight network and again as we envision the proliferation of of av trucks in general um you're, you're going to be able to utilize the drivers now that are in that long haul space, not all of them, some of them, we'll talk more about that later, but, and they will then transition to, to that, that short haul uh, drage space. And so absolutely, if, if this technology was already commercialized, it would help alleviate some of, some of the woes in our supply chain. Would it fix them all? No. But when you talk about 80,000 uh, driver shortage, which I think most everybody agrees to in some way or another, um, we would help solve for that problem without a doubt. Okay, so driver shortage is a good way to sort of wrap up here. We're, we're running a little low on time. When can we realistically expect to see autonomous trucking uh, make a difference in the driver shortage? And, and you know, how does it begin and what does it look like over time? Yeah, so uh, I'll, the quick answer to that is it's going to be gradual over time, right? It, there'll be a, a gradual adoption and proliferation of autonomous trucks uh, in the commercial space. So our, our timeline is we have a joint development uh, partnership with an OEM, Navistar, and the production target for the assembly purpose-built truck coming off that assembly line is, is the middle of 2024. And so we envision at that time point, call it July of 2024, as, as these uh, trucks come off the assembly line, that would be a plug and play 
vehicle, you'll take some of your manually driven trucks, you'll take them out of your network and you replace it with the AV trucks, or you'll redirect it to a different part of your network, however you want to do it. And you'll replace it with these AV trucks. Um, and so it'll be a gradual proliferation from call it 2025 um, over time. Your, your first question was, when will you see AV actually help make a, a dent or help improve that driver shortage? That's obviously going to be a little longer than 2025. Uh, I think it's, we think it's going to take several years before you start to see a, a meaningful contribution by way of capacity to help alleviate that drive shortage. But I would think, without a doubt, by 2030, AV trucks is going to going to put a very nice and healthy dent into the driver shortage problem that our that our supply chain has today. Some of the jobs then that would be left over, I, I, I presume, are the the jobs that would still uh, perhaps be need to be done might be more appealing to you know, younger people who are not joining the trucking industry in droves. And I'm, obviously that's an understatement, but uh, you know, the idea of attracting younger people uh, to some careers in trucking that might not be, you know, long haul for higher trucking, uh, which we agree is clearly not an appealing line for many people. Um, do you see this as potentially helping recruitment of, uh, let's just call them younger people. It might be you know, in their 30s, that's still younger than our driver age today, right? Yep, yep. So a few things on that, and that that's a, a good point. So, uh, for instance, Too Simple is doing some things in the space as well. We work with uh, Pima Community College to help train um, testing drivers, right? Because these these high definition maps where these autonomous trucks operate on, um, they'll have to be tested in, in data collection and those sorts of things, and you want truck drivers to be doing that, obviously. And so we're working with Pima and we'll work with other community colleges as we start to expand our, our scope and other geographic regions. So there's that, but there's also, right, it's not just truck drivers where there's there's a shortage. Um, we need more technicians and we will continue to need to need more technicians as this autonomy comes true or closer to commercialization. So you, I think you'll absolutely see an increase, a spike, greater interest in younger folks uh, in that technician's uh, position but again, also, we do believe that um, as our wheelhouse is the, the middle mile, you'll have additional need in that first and final mile. And that's a very nice job to have. You're home every night, right? And uh, very good pay. We've all seen some of the, the compensation studies on truck drivers these days. I'm reading, might have been one of your, your publications, Alan, I don't recall, talking about you know six-figure jobs with $15,000 signing bonuses, bonuses in the trucking space. So you can make a very nice living uh, as a truck driver, and in that 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 short haul, where it's it's not as tough on on your your personal life, we're going to help and create more of those jobs. Well, Jim, we could go on for quite a while. I've got a bonus. Thanks for being part of F three, and uh, we'll be catching up down the road. Absolutely, my pleasure. We'll talk to you soon, Alan.